my name is Fiona Zeiger and you're listening to the Migration Podcast. For this episode, my associate producer Milena Belloni spoke to Alcinda Honwana about her work on African youth in waithood. Through Alcinda's work, we learn more about young Africans' aspirations to become productive and accomplished members of society and how these aspirations get youth to mobilize politically and across space. Thanks, Alcinda, for being with us today. In the past two decades, you have researched what means to be young in Africa. You have focused on the structural inequalities affecting young people's lives, but you also have highlighted the significance of young people's agency in navigating violent contexts, in protesting and in mobilizing against political elites. Youth movement, social change, and more recently, migration have become key themes in your work. Could you tell us a bit more about yourself and what led you to study those things? Well, I am from Mozambique and I did my first degree there in history. And I started working for the Ministry of Culture in a project on cultural heritage. And through that project, I met a number of French anthropologists and I managed to get a scholarship to study anthropology in France. And then years later, I got another scholarship to do a PhD in England in social anthropology. And my work had been during my dissertation in France was on issues of spirit possession and traditional healing in the war during the war in Mozambique. And through that, I came across rituals of cleansing in post-war situations, but also a number of those rituals were done for young people, for the so-called child soldiers. And so I became interested in the phenomenon of child soldiers and I started studying them. I wrote a book on child soldiers. I also wrote a book on on spirit possession and the cleansing after the war. And uh, through the child soldiers, I started looking at their socioeconomic reintegration. And I came to the conclusion that while they were an important group to consider, there were a number of other young people in those communities who were not who had not been child soldiers but encountered a lot of difficulties so that's when i started expanding my research into looking at young people in general and from there i continued and uh, and uh, you see that today we have a situation in which young people are the majority of the population of the world and especially in the global south So studying youth and trying to understand youth is studying society and understanding society as well. And uh, in your uh, studies, uh, the concept of weighthood plays a very crucial role. Could you tell us a bit more about the meaning of uh, weighthood? In what way does does this concept illuminate the experience of young African men and women? And uh, do you think that this concept could be of any help to researchers that are working on current migration dynamics from Africa, but not only? When I started my research with the young Africans, one thing I noticed was that the majority had greater difficulty in, you know, into becoming independent. They couldn't get jobs, they didn't have the means to have their own housing, they didn't have the means to the rituals of marriage. They couldn't support their relatives. And this didn't just happen to those who were not educated, but also happened to those who had an education. 
because there was clearly a disconnect between labor markets and the educational system. If, for example, in places like Tunisia, where I did also some field work, we had a lot of graduates there who didn't have jobs in the economy. But in more general social terms, these young people who didn't have jobs and didn't have uh, ways to contribute to, to their family, to contribute to society, they felt excluded and marginalized because notions of selfhood, of personhood, of uh, self-esteem had to do with this notion of being able to be a productive member of society. So if you don't have a job, you're not productive. And if you're not productive, you are not doing anything for the greater good. So you are seen as a failure. You know, your parents cannot rely on you. Your brothers and sisters cannot rely on you. Society in general cannot rely on you. And how do you use your time? You sit in a corner in a cafe, etc. And in that way, the, the baton is not passed on to you as a responsible adult and as someone who can continue the traditions of the family, the traditions of the community. So I was finding this and I, then I was reading some other material and I found the expression weighthood in some writings by Diana Singerman in uh, Egypt and the Middle East. And I found that the weighthood uh, term was very interesting because it really meant a kind of a waiting period, but a wait, waiting to become something. And she used weight plus hood as a suffix like childhood. So it was a new stage in the trajectory towards uh, adulthood. So I thought that was interesting, but I felt a little uncomfortable with the way she was dealing with them, with it as a static moment, because my research was showing it as very vibrant. And these young people, through different means, they created what I call new youthscapes. These societies where these people, the young people live and come from in the areas where I was doing my research in Mozambique, in South Africa, in Senegal, Tunisia, Burkina Faso, many people are also getting by. Life is not as smooth. So I found that the, the expression weighthood was really very helpful in trying to understand this phenomenon. And in fact, in West Africa, people use the, the term youth men, which in a sense, it's the same thing. Youth man is the young man who has never grown up. He's a man because he's over 25 or 30 or 40, but he's still a youth because he hasn't become a full-blown man, so to speak, someone that communities and families can rely on. And uh, in what way is uh, weighthood a useful concept also to understand migration? You know, one of the ways that you try to cope and this creativity is that you find solutions in your little village. But if that, those solutions are not there, you go to the cities because there are more opportunities in the cities. So we have the rural exodus. People leave the small villages into the big cities in which they try to find employment and ways of becoming grown-ups and send remittances home, etc. 
And that brings back their self-esteem and their notion of becoming someone respectable. And then if the big cities in your own country, they are not enough, you try to expand. You go to the country next door. And uh, if the country next door doesn't, and so you, you, you travel. And that's why you have, for example, in West Africa and North Africa, a lot of young people trying to cross the Mediterranean to to Europe. And it's not by chance that it's Europe, because we're looking at a period where uh, new technologies of information and communication have made the connections between what's happening in Europe or in Asia or in Latin America and in Africa a lot more close and immediate. A young man in a small village in Nigeria or a small village in Mozambique knows exactly what's going on with just a cell phone, what's going on in Europe. And of course, the bright lights of Europe and the affluence, and uh, they also want the good life of modernity and the iPads and, uh, you know, a better cell phone. And, uh, and so they do measure their own situation in relation to what they can see elsewhere. And that's what they want. Because again, globalization is selling that consumerism in the global south. You know, the rap videos, the bling, you know, those are all the things that any young person in today's world wants. And also they see in their own villages, people who have gone to Europe and sent pictures home, dressing in the last fashion, holding nice uh, phones and computers and all those things, and even sending remittances. And they will say, and then even family and relatives will say, you see, you are a lazy one. Your sister or your brother has gone to Europe and they tried. It's a hard trip, but they manage it. What are you doing here, doing nothing and sitting in the corner? And so it's this whole set of circumstances that make people to, to migrate. I think you gave us a very vivid uh, picture of uh, how inequalities between global north and global south uh, play out in the lives of, uh, of young people and their families in Africa. Given these uh, power inequalities and dynamics that you address throughout your work, to what extent do you think that the current discourse uh, on migration and uh, migration crises reproduce these uh, power inequalities? Well, I would start by saying that the migration crisis it's a, it's a crisis for Europe because the majority of Africans who migrate, they migrate within the continent. What I was telling you about, they leaving the villages to the towns and from the towns to the bigger towns and just crossing the border. For example, Mozambicans migrate essentially to South Africa. And people in East Africa would take the hub as Nairobi. So within the continent, there are big hubs where people migrate to in West Africa. In fact, a report by the ECA pointed out that about almost 90% of Africans migrate within the continent. It's true that those who migrate to uh, Europe are in a small number, but even those who migrate, they migrate for those reasons because the, the world has become global. The aspirations have become global. And uh, 
this consumer culture, this idea of modernity is sold. But I think the moral panics that have been created in Europe around uh, immigration and migrants is as if Europe was under attack and would disappear with these young Africans that are coming, etc. You know, I think it's overblown. It's overblown in the sense that, you know, they started creating this distinction between economic migrants and uh, those who are asylum seekers. But it's a very blurred distinction. You know, a person can be an economic migrant and an asylum seeker as well, coming from a situation in which they are, there is extreme poverty or there is a war or there is a tension and the person is looking for, for new opportunities. And yes, economic migrants, what is the problem? The world is not a, an equal world. You know, certain resources exist in certain parts of the world. And people are not stupid. People look at what is available and they try to get the best for themselves. People have migrated. Look at when the Europeans came to America, when they traveled to Australia. You know, it was, they were economic migrants. They were looking at the world during their time and looking at where opportunities were available. If Africans have not been able to develop themselves to the point they they should be able to sustain themselves within their own borders. It's also because of history. There is a history of colonialism. Those are things that need to be acknowledged before we just put blame on these young people who are really trying to become something, somebody, and for these people, becoming somebody is important because it's who you are as a person, who, how you define yourself. So being in a village without doing anything, without having any prospects is like death. So rather than dying there, why not try something? At least I tried. And just the journey, the difficulty of a journey, it's a rite of passage in itself. Thank you for uh, this very passionate account. And how are the youth movements, uh, uh, the ones that you have studied, responding to these inequalities? And do they have any possibility to influence these power dynamics in a positive way? You know, whether they have or not, that's what they're striving for, to really influence. And they have shown that uh, in, in some instances they have influenced. But of course, I think the, they are realizing that just getting rid of political leaders and putting new ones or getting a constitutional amendment blocked, it's not the whole story because what they need is systemic change. But systemic change is also very hard to achieve. And so these movements, they are realizing that just fighting alone in their own countries and changing regimes, it's important, but it's not enough. So you have various ways in which these um, youth movements are evolving. So on the one hand, you have youth movements who are creating alliances across countries. And this is a group that understands that systemic change is not circumscribed to the boundaries of the African continent, but it's the global system that needs to be tackled. They believe that they can do it because the future is on their side. They are young, they are rebellious, they want to change the world. 
when I try to understand but what kind of political system you are against, they struggle to say exactly what they want. They say, we want equality, we want a more just society. But, uh, you know, we are in a period in which the world is in transition, in which something is brewing, something is going to happen. And it looks like it is the younger generation that, it, that are going to figure it out and, and make change. And I have a lot of hope. Do you think that uh, the migration of young people, could it be an engine for social change or rather an exit strategy that decreases the capacity to voice their dissent? Uh, I wonder also to what extent uh, young people getting out of their country could diminish their capacity to, to make a change in their country. I don't think so, because I think that, uh, you know, as I said, it is a minority that migrates abroad. The vast majority stay there. And also, if you have those connections between the diaspora and those who are in the continent, you continue to reinforce those, those links. Thank you very much, Alcinda. It was a nice conversation. Thank you for being with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Professor Alcinda Honwana is Senior Visiting Fellow at the London School of Economics and Visiting Professor at the Open University. Milena Belloni is postdoctoral fellow at the University of Antwerp.